The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi guys, it's Jordan from the Balanced Blonde Soul on Fire podcast. On my show, we go deep on all things astrology, awakening, motherhood, channeling, healing, and so much more. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease, and the healing journey I embarked on at that time set me on the path to radical awakening. Let's just say I had no choice but to change my energy, and that opened me up to the most beautiful healing of my life. On my show, you can expect to feel like you're sitting in my living room chatting with old friends. Tune in every Wednesday to connect and hang on the Balanced Bond Soul on Fire. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everyone. Hope you're having a great start to your day. And thank you for all the love on last week's episode with Allison Cooch. Wasn't that so much fun? I thought it was such a fun episode. We went everywhere. And my favorite part of the episode was Loki, the very, very end. Like, if you did not hear the last sentences that Allison and I spoke to each other, please. Well, if you didn't listen to the episode, go listen to the episode. But if you didn't hear the very end, you need to listen to the very end because I think it's hilarious and just like, very real post. Anyways, we have another really fun and exciting episode in store for you today with Liz Moody. I'm so excited. She blew me away and I just adored our conversation. Liz is the author of two healthy cookbooks, Healthier Together, Recipes to Nourish Your Body and Relationships, as well as the author of Glow Pops. She's also an amazing content creator. Her content is so uplifting online, and she has such a balanced, refreshing, and grounded approach to pretty much everything in life. And we're going to kind of cover it all today. I do want to give a shout out to one of Liz's products. I, You guys know me. I usually like in the intro, I'm not saying this, but Liz gifted me her Healthier Together deck. So she does like question cards. You buy this deck and there's all these fun questions in there that really spark fun conversation. I have used this deck with like four different people since this interview because I loved it so much. So definitely check it out if you're interested and you like question games like that. You can go to healthyconvo.co. And the one that I have is the Healthier Together deck. But next up, I want to try Raunchier Together. It's more of like an adult let loose intimacy question game. So that is my that's going to be my level two. But definitely check out Healthier Together the deck at healthyconvo.co because Liz knew what she was doing when she created that. Today's special shout out goes to Mo. Mo said, I never leave reviews, but I absolutely had to for RealPod. As a former college athlete, also class of 2019, what, what? Love that, Mo. Shout out. Mo said, I relate to Victoria on so many levels. RealPod is a safe space that makes me smile, encourages me to think deeply, and is the number one reason I felt comfortable starting therapy. Oh my gosh, I love that. Mo said, I feel like I'm having a conversation with a friend when I listen. Thank you for for real pod, I look forward to Wednesdays. This absolutely warms my heart. Mo, 
I'm proud of you. Good for you for going. I hope it's been great. And thank you so much for tuning in. And thanks to each and every one of you. I love to hear your thoughts. So you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts and be the special shout out on next week's episode. And you can also rate the podcast wherever you listen, which really, really helps out the show. Without further ado, let's dive into today's conversation with the one and only Liz Moody. Liz, welcome to RealPod. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to be here too. You literally just said my favorite thing in the world prior to recording, which was nothing is off limits. Yeah, it's my it's like my life motto. I feel like I wish people would say that to me when we like went out for dinner. I feel the same way. So what is it that makes you so confident in like you would be asked any question and you'd be fine with it? I just don't get uncomfortable with a lot of things. And I have, I think, significantly less of a filter than a lot of other people do. And I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really wonderful part of my life. <laughs> I think it's so enjoyable. I like can't do surface level conversation. Like I want to get deep every single day. I just think that's where life is to be lived. It's where we're growing. We're connecting with people. Surface level conversation is so hard for me. Well, and there's science behind it too. Like we always think that when we're vulnerable with people, they're going to judge us or they're going to be like, ew, like that's gross. Why do you think that? But the science says that people like us more when we're vulnerable with them. So I think leaning into that is a good thing. I love that. And that's what I try to do every single day. And I'm so glad you're the perfect guest. So, I mean, then how are you today? I'm I'm a little bit stressed. I really just, so we just did a pod swap and yes. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like that brought me back to neutral. But when I got here, I was a frazzled mess. I'm coming off of this really interesting period in my life where I've been living nomadically for years. And then my husband and I were like, we're going to stop living nomadically. We're going to move to L.A., we tried to do that and pretty much failed at it because of my mental health and ended up retreating to Ojai. I had to finish a book. I had a manuscript due and I was just like all over the place. And I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. Like I have feelings of failure. I have feelings of like, why can other people live in one place and not have anxiety attacks about it? And I can't. And now we're kind of trying to figure out what's next for us, my husband and I. And it's really hard. And I have a lot of self-judgment around that. So when you lived a nomadic lifestyle, were you going from city to city? What was the like routine? Because you're talking to someone who was born in, well, I was born in Chicago, but raised in California. And I feel like I have this pull to go venture somewhere mm -hmm. else, but I don't know how or when. It's like Max is in real estate in Southern California. And I like I could work from anywhere, but I don't know. And I, I yearn for it. So I'm so fascinated. Well, I think there's a lot of ways to try it on. You know, like, could you guys go to San Diego for a little bit or go to Ojai for a little bit? I think that experimenting with these big life dreams can sometimes be really fun and they can allow us to scratch that itch in a way that isn't just blowing up our whole life and diving into that dream. But we left, we were living in New York City until May 2020. And then it was, you know, pandemic, New York City. We were living in a 500 square foot apartment. Our landlord tried to raise our rent and we were just like, we you can't raise our rent. It's May 2020. Like, come on, sir. And so we left. We did a sample month, that experimental thing in Colorado, and we loved it. We were just like, this is incredible. So we started looking up 
most beautiful mountain towns, North America, and just booking Airbnbs for like a month or two at a time in those places. And we've been essentially doing that since May 2020. Most definitely. You seem to have a really great grasp on life, self-awareness, growth. Obviously, the title of your podcast and your page is Healthier Together. Coming from like that anti-diet culture world, I'm like, not triggered, but you know, the word healthy is always associated with kale and losing weight and kind of what we see, like you talk about LA, like in LA. So, I mean, what is the philosophy of being healthy to you and have you always been healthy? Okay. So I have not always been healthy, but I've not always been healthy in the way that I would define healthy, which is being healthy is anything that's going to help you live your best life. So it's going to be very unique. It's going to be very individual. I am very anti a lot of the dogmatic culture. I always say that wellness is a tool. And the second that wellness is making your life worse, it's no longer wellness. So the second that wellness is making it so that you can't go out and enjoy dinner with your friends because you're looking at the menu and like, there's nothing on there that I can eat. That's no longer wellness because that's making your life worse. And it sounds really simplistic, but I think if you judge things by that standard, am I working out because I hate my body and I'm just filling myself with negative self-talk as I'm doing my workout, that's probably making your life worse. Is there something that you could do that would get you into your body that would get you enjoying it? Can you put on a Taylor Swift song and dance for five minutes, which is my go-to thing. If I cannot move my body in any other way, I put on music and I dance and it makes me feel connected to my body. It makes me feel good. And it is such a better alternative to doing burpees and being like, you fat piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like that's we're not going to hate ourselves into change. And if we do hate ourselves into change, it's not going to stick. And it's what's the point of it? You know what I mean? Like, what are we even trying to get out of that experience? So we define healthy on Healthier Together as anything that's going to help you live your best life in any sorts of ways. So we're trying to make our relationships healthier. We're trying to make our finances healthier. We're trying to make our relationships with food healthier. And I think that there's a lot of negative conversation around that stuff. And I understand how it can be triggering for people. And I think that there's a lot of redefinition that needs to happen. But I also think that a lot of people are living in places that don't feel good to them every single day. They're living in bodies that they don't like every single day, that they don't have the energy to do what they want to do, that they can't poop and they hate that. So I think there's a lot of room to make ourselves live the life that we want to live and have our life be shaped the way that we want to shape it. And that's what healthier means to me. I resonate so much with if wellness is like interrupting your life experience and enjoyment. I think it's so true. We hear about these crazy diets or these crazy things people have to do to stay thin or to, you know, follow this routine. And it's like, it just doesn't seem enjoyable or fun. So I completely agree with your message. And you mentioned a few times in that explanation, our relationship to our body. Yeah. What has your relationship with your body been like? So it has been a journey. I had an eating disorder at one point in college, and it actually resulted in me having a seizure on the beach by myself in Brazil. And there was a lot going on at that time. I was doing a lot of drugs and I smoked some weed that I bought from a questionable source. And I ended up having a seizure by myself. And it was a really traumatic experience. And I don't even think at the time I had any idea how traumatic that experience was. I ended up having PTSD from it. I moved to London with my husband a number of years later. He was in graduate school. And that PTSD kind of spiraled without the support of my community, without all of my family and friends into agoraphobia, where I couldn't get out of bed without having a panic attack by the end of it. I started out where I just kind of like have panic attacks sporadically when I was out, and then I couldn't go to the grocery store. At one time, I left my cart at the grocery store 
like waiting in line. And I was like, I can't even get to the checkout situation. I kind of had to flee. And that was a little bit of a wake up call for me. And that was interesting because that ended up being the thing that got me interested in how can I start to feel better. So I already had had this background in journalism at that time. I'd written a bunch of articles. I was, you know, I had a newspaper column when I was like 16, which is a whole other story. But so I was laying in bed and I was on my computer and I was thinking to myself, like, this is cool. I can live my whole life like this. Like I really had convinced myself, like I have the internet. I can watch movies. I I never, I'm a cat. I never need to get out of bed again. But I was using that time just because I... I don't know. I didn't have anything else to do. So I started emailing sources and saying, what is the root of anxiety? What's happening in your brain? What does the research say about anxiety? And kind of putting together a little bit of this anti-anxiety plan for myself. And that's when I started getting out of bed. I started incorporating different types of things into my diet. I started incorporating meditation. I just kind of like piece together these little bits and slowly but surely I started to feel better. And that was my first experience with what does healthier mean? Healthier for me at that moment meant the difference between I will live the rest of my life in bed and I'll pretend to be satisfied with that and I'll thrive and have relationships and travel and have a career that I absolutely love. So agoraphobia being fear of leaving your house, right? Yeah. Having panic attacks whenever I left the house. And how did that relate to your eating disorder? What was it that triggered the fear of socialization? The fear, the eating disorder, it's a little bit convoluted, but the eating disorder led to the seizure and the seizure led to this fear that if I ever left the house, I would have a seizure. And so all of it was kind of very entwined, essentially, because I was so unhealthy that I essentially led my body to have this very extreme. Was this anorexia? Reaction. Yes. Not so not fueling your body. Yeah, I was incredibly undernourished at that point in my life, and because I knew that I was undernourished, it triggered a bunch of obsessive compulsive behaviors. I have diagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder. And I would do things like when I was agoraphobic in London, I was checking my blood sugar 20, 30 times a day because I was terrified that if my blood sugar got too low, I would have another seizure. And so then I had this very disordered relationship with food where I was kind of frantically eating to kind of keep my blood sugar at a certain level. But I was doing it from a place of fear and anxiety and just like, I don't want this thing to happen to me again. I was trying to protect myself with this very convoluted relationship that I had with food. How were you able to step outside of this pattern and have the awareness to recognize it wasn't healthy and you needed to reach out to these sources and make a change? I didn't. At the time, I literally was just like, I need to feel better moment to moment. I don't want to get too far into it, but it was the only time in my life where I was like, I can't be this uncomfortable forever. And if that is where this is going, I need to come up with like an alternative. And so I just it came out of this extreme desperation to be able to feel comfortable moment to moment without having this extreme physical and mental discomfort. And then it was only later. I think that we put a lot of pieces together later as I started to kind of climb back into my own brain that I was able to be like, oh, these are the pieces that I need to put together. This is the relationship that I need to have with food. This is the relationship I need to have with my body. And a lot of it came down to learning to trust my body in this new way. I had this big, what I perceived as a betrayal of my body with the seizure. I, it was the severance of trust. You trust your body every day. You wake up, you trust it to do what you want it to do, to go where you want it to go. And then when I was like trying to order a burger after being on the beach in Brazil and I had a seizure, I was like, 
we are not in a relationship anymore. You betrayed my trust. So mm. I had to rebuild that trust with my body from the beginning, essentially. That's such an interesting way to look at it. And I think with eating disorders, any sort of body image issue, it is this war between yourself, your body, what you're allowing it to eat, the cues it's giving you that it wants food, you know, and it can really create separation. Yeah, it can. And I think a lot of that is the reintegration of yourself and the building of that relationship. There was a woman on my podcast who said that you can't have self-love without self-trust. And that really resonated with me. And that a lot of what we're doing when we're saying, oh, I love my body. I love myself. When we're not taking those smaller steps to build self-trust, like we know we're lying to ourselves. Like it's not a surprise that that wouldn't stick. So I really had to build that self-trust again. And then it was only once I had that self-trust that I could move to a place of self-love. So true because when we think about diets, it's almost like we're punishing ourselves because we don't trust ourselves to eat what we want to eat or eat when we're hungry. And we kind of talk to ourselves like we are someone who can't make decisions and we need to follow the guidebook. We need to follow the eating plan because you can't listen to your cues. You can't listen to your intuition. And so it's interesting how there is like this dual voice of what you want and your needs. And then this other voice that's following the conditioning of society or what you are, quote, supposed to do. And then when those things are at war with each other, there's no way you can live in harmony. Well, and I think going back to what I said earlier, we have spent a lot of time practicing that mistrust. And so I think we need to put in a lot of time practicing building that trust again. We're going to take a quick pause to talk about one of our new sponsors, that I am obsessed with because I am, as you know, obsessed with outfits, fashion, you know, pulling together my style. And that's why I'm so happy to tell you about Newly. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. So for $88 a month, I can choose up to six styles to rent for whatever I have going on. It gives me access to thousands of styles from more than 300 brands like Free People, Love Shack Fancy, Selkie, and Anthropology. I mean, hello, those are some of my faves in a range of sizes from petite to 5X plus and maternity. This is more sustainable than buying stuff we only wear once. And you can try on trends and find new favorite brands before committing to actually buying them. Newly is flexible. There are no late fees, damage fees, and the option to pause or cancel at any time. You have that. So if you're like me and you want more style, flexibility, and sustainability in your life, you need Newly. Get $20 off your first month when you sign up with the code REALPOD20 for $20 off. Just go to Newly. N-U-U-L-Y dot com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code RealPod20 at sign up to get $20 off your first month. Newly, more life in your clothes. This episode is sponsored by one of my favorites, Athletic Greens. Y'all know I love Athletic Greens. I drink AG1 every single morning. I had it this morning. And recently, instead of mixing it with my like frother, I mix it by shaking the bottle that comes with your order. First of all, what is AG1? AG1 is nutrition made so simple. It is 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver benefits like mood, immune system, and sleep support, sustained energy, and so much more in just one scoop. 
mixed with water, shake that up, drink it, and you are good to go. I drink mine first thing every morning on an empty stomach. It is the routine. It's like the one thing I definitely do every single morning. Max does it too. He's the one that introduced me to Athletic Greens, and now they sponsor the podcast. So I'm like, okay, they're my besties now, Max. How does that feel? Head to athleticgreens.com slash realpod. That's athleticgreens.com slash realpod, and you will get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. And your first purchase also includes the Athletic Greens AG1 bottle. So you can put your scoop in there and your water in there every single morning, shake that up, and you are good to go, whether you're drinking at home or you're taking it on the road with you. So don't wait. Today is the best time to start. Head to athleticgreens.com slash realpod. That's athleticgreens.com slash realpod for a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. You have such powerful messages about loving your body on your Instagram. And you have one video that went mega viral, as it should have. I'm so glad that landed in so many pockets about how our body is a mechanism through which we use our life. And it's an instrument and it's allowing us to have this experience on earth. And it's not this thing that is just there to be stared at. How did you come to a place in your life where you fully embodied that and believed it? Yeah. One of my life mottos, I have a few mottos I live by, but one of them is your your body is for living, not looking. And it's something I still have to repeat to myself often. And I think it has come from that place of practice. Like I used to go to the gym and I would do the mirror checks and I would be like, oh, your body looks terrible. Like you need to hit the weights harder. You need to go on the elliptical more. And I just one, it got me nowhere. Like I it's it's kind of like that thing where if you do the same thing for years and years and years and you don't get any results, like, well, is that working for you? And it wasn't working for me. And I just felt it. Sorry to interject and to realize it's not it's not even you. It's the diet plan. It's the yeah. workout. It's the fact that the goal is literally unattainable. Yeah. And it is not a you thing. You know, it's like diet culture invented willpower for us to constantly double down that we are not good enough. We yeah. are not disciplined enough. We're not strict enough. No. How about it's just literally impossible for my body to look this way. Yeah. Or for me to eat this and feel happy. Oh, that is like one of my biggest pet peeves is when people sell these like workout plans and they're like, oh, you can they're soft selling. Like you can have my butt. You can have my abs. You can have my shoulders. But it's like those are your butt, your abs and your shoulders. My body will deviate a little bit in every direction. But I think it was this huge comforting. And it feels obvious retrospectively, but like, this is what my body looks like. I don't wake up every day and think I'm going to be five, six today. Although I really like to, you know, I'm like, that's my one thing. <laughs> if I could wake up and be five, six, I would be a How happy tall camper. are you now? I'm five, one and a half, which rounds up to five, two. But I don't wake up every day thinking, girl, if you do this, you could be taller. But I did wake up thinking I could completely have these results that were other people's bodies by doing the thing that they do. And I, that's a soft sell that just gives me such an ick when people like, I don't know, start a what I eat in a day with like an ab check. And they're kind of saying, if you eat this way, they're not explicitly saying it. And I think the internet's like, it's the unspoken it's message. more subtle now, but it, it is like, oh, if you eat this way, you can have this body. And I think it's so much more powerful to say like, how, what can we do to make you feel as good as possible in the body that you have? And that's where my body is for living, not looking came in for me because I realized the moments that I felt best in my body was when I was using my body to live my best life. When I was hiking a mountain, when I was cuddling my cat, when I was having sex with my husband, when I felt the beauty and the strength and the power of my body. And then I was like, this is so much greater than 
putting it on display for other people. Like what feeling do I get from putting my body on display for other people versus the feeling of being on top of a mountain or having an orgasm? Snaps. Or both at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) That is legendary. So, okay. When I hear you say that, I'm like, I'm on board. Choo-choo. Love it. Okay. However, I feel like it's so hard to not feel like your body's on display for others, even when you're not putting it on display. But when, if you dress up hot for date night and you go walk through the restaurant to your table, like we live in a world that has told us you are on display. You are the snack walking through the restaurant that people have permission, even though they don't, to look you up and down and judge your body and think about your body, especially men. So I struggle with wanting to embrace and feel that empowerment, but then also knowing that people are going to look, they're going to see, and they're going to be able to do whatever they want in their own area staring at me. Yeah, but it's kind of like you can control what you can control. I feel like that's true in so many parts of our lives is they're like, well, what if I do this and they think this or they say this? And it's like, well, that's outside of my control. Right. I can I can control my side of the street. I can control how I feel in my body. I can control what I want my body to feel like for me, but I can't control what anybody else thinks of it. I saw this TikTok yesterday that literally said, so if I buy an expensive designer bag. Oh, I think I saw this. Yeah, yeah. it was like, then I'm not being smart with my money. Yeah. But if I buy a bag from Zara or H&M, I'm supporting fast fashion. So if I go thrift a bag, I'm now taking a bag from someone who might need it more than me. And if I make my own bag, which I like literally don't have the time to do, like with the job I work, then I won't have a bag. And so the whole thing was just about like how there's a problem with any type of bag you get or buy. And I literally was so impacted by it because there's literally nothing that you can do to please everyone. Yet, like Liz, I literally, like I know this, I know this, but I still can't muster up the courage to then just live my life without feeling like, I need the approval of others or caring what they're going to think. It's so hard. I think it's harder now than it's ever been to because there are so many voices out there. Like if you are scrolling on TikTok for 10 minutes, you're hearing hundreds of strongly held opinions about something. And I do think that that is a shift that hasn't even existed for five, 10 years. Like it's gotten the, the other voices have gotten so much louder. And I think ultimately the answer is like figuring out what your values are and adhering to them as much as possible while recognizing that your values are going to shift and change with time and leaving room for that and leaving room to have your values shifted by other people's opinions, by acquiring new information. I think that's so important. But I think that that exercise of figuring out who am I and what do I value has gotten increasingly harder in today's world. So I have a lot of empathy for that. But I also think that that speaks to why it's so important to figure out the places that you feel most in touch with yourself and pepper your life with them as much as possible. Yeah. I remember when I was getting engaged to Max and I... As opposed to the other engagement. (laughs) Yeah, as opposed to all the other ones I didn't tell them about. And it was it was important to me. I wanted a, a diamond ring and I wanted a beautiful ring. And I just remember sometimes feeling like, is this materialistic? Is this, you know, whatever. And I have this cousin who lives out in Colorado. I think she and her fiance have a, like a weed farm. I mean, they live, like when I talk about black and white, like I think of her and I'm like, wow, she's the opposite of me. I freaking love her to death. And like, she lives this like, you know, I can't even imagine her life. She doesn't even have Instagram. Right. And I remember talking to her about it because I like, you know, she would never like care that much about something like that. And she was just like, if that's if that's what excites you and you want, that's awesome. Like that's, be, you know, do that. And I have a mentor also who would always just say to me, like, be about it. Like 
if you love cars or you love shopping, like be about it. Like that's your thing that you love. Like the same way you'd want anyone to be about, like if it aligns with them morally and it brings them joy, like you have to be about it. And so I guess it is taking the time to get in touch with yourself, but, and also recognizing why, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think I sometimes have to check myself on like, I feel sometimes I'm curious your thoughts in this world that people don't understand what my career actually is, how much work goes on behind the scenes, that it's this actual business machine. And I like will frequently like have a conversation with someone who's like just so condescending and they don't, they, I don't think it's intentional, but they're like, and so what, what, what do you do? Or, or was this real? And I'm like, it, it just, it just so, it comes off so belittling. Yeah. I so badly want to be seen and respected as a businesswoman but I notice when I'm like wanting to name drop a brand I've worked with or an amount of money that I make for approval. And so it's like, you also have to check yourself on like, when are you really being about something because it brings you joy and you love it, even if no one was looking. And if no one got to see my ring, is this still the ring that I would want? You know, because is, is it what I want? And it is. But it is important to know when are we doing it for others versus 100%. ourselves? Yeah. And I love that you designed your ring too. I think it's cool that you were like, my partner, you know, d- doesn't need to design the ring for me. I think that's like, it's cool that you knew what you wanted and you you went for that. I also think sometimes if we feel a desire to be seen en masse, like if we feel a desire for the stranger at the coffee shop to give us approval, I think that can be one, a sign that we need to really work on our self-approval and two, a sign that maybe we're not being seen by those people really close in our lives too. I think that there is a tendency these days, and I think social media has contributed to it, that you want approval by like 50 people, 200 people, 500,000 people. And I think if we had that approval, that feeling really, really seen by like that close crew of people in our life, it can help assuage a little bit of that need. And it's sometimes frustrating to see because I think sometimes people will focus on that perception to the external world rather than nurturing and cultivating and appreciate that being seen by the people who really do see them. Like Max probably is like, wow, what a powerful businesswoman. Like, I think that Victoria is creating this incredible career for herself. I think that's so, so cool because he knows you and he sees you. And so his opinion actually matters. And I think that sometimes being able to differentiate between the opinions that we kind of let in and the opinions that we just are like, well, they don't have enough information to see me. So why does their opinion matter? So I'm noticing I think I have a I have a bad problem because I have amazing core people in my life who get who I do feel so seen by. And I want the barista to think I was the nicest person that came in Starbucks this morning, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's human too. Like I think I think that's like a human thing. So I've been working on rejection therapy. Have you heard of this? Yes, I have. Okay. So for anyone who's unfamiliar, it's like when you literally purposely put yourself in a position to be rejected by society to kind of bear the pain or fear of what that is. And I've been doing it in little bits and pieces. What have you done? So a few things that I've done. I was in Target and I had to film a TikTok or I wanted to film a TikTok. And I remember thinking, oh my God, no, people are going to look at me and think this is this girl who bought. And I was like, you know what? Let them. I'm going to hold my phone up. I'm going to walk down the aisle. I'm going to film my TikTok like, and they can judge me. I'll never see them again. So that was one thing I did. Another thing I did is I was in the bathroom actually right here at the studio. This is like a month ago. And I was in there alone and I was singing. I love to sing. And I heard someone walk in and I thought, keep singing, <laughs> keep singing. What were you singing? I totally forgot, but I literally kept I singing. I picture a Disney song. I don't know why. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was probably Taylor Swift. I kept singing and, and that was like me practicing like that. They're going to think, oh my God, there's this random girl singing in the bathroom. What a weirdo. 
Like, who does that? And then I actually think that they didn't, like, come out of their stall until I left because I think that they thought I didn't know they were there. (laughs) But, like, I'm just trying little things to, you know. Because the whole point of rejection therapy, though, is to, like, internalize the fact that nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Like, nobody gives a shit. Everybody is way too up in their own heads thinking, what is everybody else thinking about me? That it is, like, a superpower if you can recognize if you can get out of that thought process yourself, because everybody else is still trapped in it. They're in their little bubble being like, oh my God, how am I being perceived? So if you can break free of it, you can just like be off living your best life and nobody's even going to notice. I still want to get to a level of like, I think something that that would be a really badass would be if you were like at a red light and you like were knocking and honking to the person to your left and we're like, roll down your window and then just said something weird. Like, what did you have for lunch today? (laughs) You know, what a gift. I don't know. So my thing is like, you singing in the bathroom, what a gift. At at its best, it's this joyful, like, oh my God, they were singing that bright in my day. At its like literal worst, it's them telling a story to somebody later, like, oh my gosh, I walked into this bathroom and this person was singing. Like all of it from the like, what a weird story to like what a little reminder that we are humans on this tiny speck of earth floating in the galaxy and we should find joy where we can find it. Like all of that is a gift. I just also want to add here that I was in the bathroom. (laughs) Was that you? (laughs) And it was Taylor Swift. Wait, shut the F up. You guys, this is my producer. You, it was you in the bathroom. It was me in the bathroom. (laughs) Did you know it was me? (laughs) Yes. You probably recognized your voice. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so sweet. I love that. And I started singing it in my head. Why didn't you like start singing along? Oh my gosh. That means I'm on the toilet just singing with you while you're washing your hands. That is so funny. I, that Not is, a total lie. Wait, that is so funny. What are the chances that in this building it was you? That was wild. I was like, that's so sweet. That was all But time. also, like, literally, this is a moment of human connection. Isn't this what we are all looking for on the planet? Like, she had the connection back when she was peeing, listening to your beautiful <laughs> music. But then you also, by you having the vulnerability to have this disclosure in this moment, you got to have this other moment of connection. And speaking about singing, like, I and just joy in life, and I feel like, Liz, you'll be able to spit bars on this. When we get older, we don't play. We don't have fun. Oh and I I used to love to sing. I had a keyboard in my room growing up. I would sing. I would do covers. I sing in the talent show. And I like, I want to start singing again. And I want to share it because I think it's just fun, like just doing something you love. And no, I'm not going to drop an album. No, I don't think I'm that good. No, I don't think I'm. But it's like, why as adults can we not do something oh, unless yeah. we're good at it? A hundred percent. I think that I did a podcast episode called How to Have More Fun because I just think that we, one, we deprioritize fun. We say that it's not like a vital part of life, but fun has so many health benefits. It has physical health benefits. It lowers your cortisol. It's literally like helping you hormonally. It has mental health benefits, but we act like it's superfluous. Like it's this like icing on top of life. And to your point about getting older, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I reached this age where all of my friends were having babies. All of my friends were buying houses. And my husband and I had this like five month period where we're like, okay, I guess it's time for us to like have a baby and buy a house. And then we were like, fuck that. Like, that's not what we want to do right now. It's so great for other people who want to do that, who are genuinely like living their truth. But we constrain ourselves throughout our lives by so many shoulds, by so many timelines, by so many like this is what life is supposed to look like at this age, in this place all of these things. And it's like, who, who said, like, who made those rules? Yeah. I've actually been thinking about this a lot with my relationship with my husband, not our relationship, but our, the lifestyle that him and I live together, because 
we see each other at the end of the night for two hours. We're both exhausted from our day of work that we pop on Yellowstone. We watch two episodes. We go to bed. He's gone in the morning. Like, like there's just so much going on. And I'm like, why? Why? Like, we have the ability to probably be more lax because we can and we're not. And I'm just like, are we living? Like, I said to him the other night, I said, these are the best years of our life. We are newly married. Our parents are alive. We could do anything we wanted right now. Like, and we don't. We keep chugging along in the way that the hamster wheel. And like, I'm making it sound like we hate our jobs. We love our jobs. So that's the double-edged sword. But like, it is so true that we fall into these routines and we don't have fun. We don't live. We don't do weird things. Like, why do I work Monday through Friday? I literally don't have to. We had the three-day weekend with MLK. It was glorious. And I was like, Victoria, you could literally take Monday off for the rest of the year because that's the privilege I have working for myself and having the success that I've had that I could do that. I don't though, because I would guilt trip myself that the rest of the world has to work really hard on Mondays and I don't. And then I'm sitting here feeling guilty. You know, it's like, I mean, I think the why is because we've been told what our lives should look like forever. And it's much harder to construct what you think your life should look like for yourself than it is to just kind of follow along the track that you have been told for your entire life. I also think that there is, a difference between being almost like manically, like I have to embrace every moment. Like I do think that it can be beautiful that you and your husband have this comfortable, lovely relationship where you can come together at the end of the night and watch Yellowstone. And that can be really satisfying. And I think it can be really satisfying. There's the and word again to, to shake it up and to mix it up and to play and to ask yourself like, okay, so I can be doing anything I want with my life right now. I can be adding in these things. What would that be? How can I actually put that on the calendar? How can I set a goal and then set bite-sized goals where I'm working towards that goal? If my parents are alive and they're in good health, maybe a goal of mine is to take a vacation with them. Okay, can I pull out a calendar and kind of pragmatically put that in? I think, again, to the point where we view fun as superfluous, we schedule everything else into our life. And then with a little bit of extra time or a little bit of extra energy, we put in the things that make us feel alive and really, really good. And I think if you have the privilege or the ability to changing the weight a little bit so that you are saying this is important to me, you're putting it on the calendar and you're taking strides towards building in the components that you want your life to look like. This episode is sponsored by Cozy Earth. Named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018, Cozy Earth's best-selling bamboo sheet set is temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and it might have been Oprah's favorite things in 2018, but it's Victoria's favorite things in 2023 because Max and I sleep on these bamboo sheet sets every single night. They are so incredibly soft. The temperature regulating is no joke. And I will like never go back to the super expensive thread count, blah, blah, blah. I was blown away by Cozy Earth's bedding and they offer a variety of luxury pillows, sheets, blankets, and more. And their bedding essentials are backed by a lengthy warranty. Also, not to mention the morning of my wedding, I woke up in my Cozy Earth PJs and I gifted them in pink to my bridesmaids. So talk about how much I love Cozy Earth, like literally the silk robes everyone does. Nope, not for me. I was like, I want me and my gals in the Cozy Earth PJs because those are the softest things ever. You definitely need to try it for yourself. And Cozy Earth is making it so great because they are providing an exclusive offer for RealPod listeners today with 35% off site-wide when you go to CozyEarth.com and use the code 
RealPod. That's RealPod in all caps, R-E-A-L-P-O-D for 35% off site-wide. So search the website, CozyEarth.com, fall in love, check out the sheets, check out the PJs, check out everything really, and you will get 35% off site-wide when you use the code RealPod. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When we are at our best, we can do great things, but sometimes life gets us bogged down and we feel overwhelmed or like we're not showing up in the way that we want to. I can totally relate to that. I really feel like I've actually been feeling that way recently. And something that I know and I'm excited to remind all of you is that working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. BetterHelp is a great option because it's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. I have benefited so much from therapy. It is just that time in my week for me, for no one else. I get to sit there and talk about me and what's going on and my problems and try to find solutions. And I'm always feeling better when I come out the other side. Whether you've been before or you're new, BetterHelp is a great option because it's convenient, flexible, affordable and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So if you want to live that empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash real pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash real pod, betterhelp.com slash real pod to get 10% off your first month today. I love that you keep reiterating this and, and it's so coincidental that you say this because I was having a conversation with someone in my life recently, literally this week, who is struggling with something that they're going through. And I think all of us in life can feel like when we are diagnosed with an eating disorder, diagnosed with depression, when we become something in life that it is this label. I'll use an eating disorder as an example. And I kind of felt this way when I really read the term binge eating disorder on the piece of paper that they gave me. It's like, I have an eating disorder. Like I am this thing. Like you feel like you are it. And we miss the and, you know, like I have been going through kind of an identity shift recently with, whoa, my content really for the first time ever feels like it's kind of far away from sports. It's kind of far away from the female athlete volleyball message. And that's it's weird for me, you know, And I have to remember like, okay, I am an athlete and I'm a creator and I'm a friend and I love makeup and I love fashion and I'm a wife, you know? So it's that and that we can be so many things in this life, not just this this label of something that feels all consuming at the time. Yeah. I had Susan David on my podcast. She's a psychologist and she does research into our emotions and how we experience them. And one of her core things that she teaches is not even to say like, I am sad because then we're identifying with the emotion of sadness and said to say like, I am experiencing sadness right now. And I think that giving yourself a little bit of that separation means that you're not taking that on as a core part of your identity, which can be really freeing. And I think that a lot of the therapy world is moving in that direction with diagnoses as well. I think on one hand, it can be really helpful to finally be able Mm -hmm. to feel seen and to verbalize and to have language around this thing you've been experiencing. And I think diagnoses can be lovely in that sense, but I also think they can feel a little bit entrapping. And so I think to say, I am experiencing this can be really helpful. And she would even go a step further and say that you should be significantly more 
specific than just saying sadness. You're likely feeling three other things below that. You're feeling shame. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling helpless. And the more we can get specific with identifying what is at the root of the feeling we're feeling on any moment to moment basis, the more we can kind of move through that. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's so powerful. I had someone say that to me once. And also the reminder that these are universal emotions. These are emotions that your friends feel, that your family feels, that the people that you love feel. This isn't unique to you in the sense that you have a problem or you can't hang the way that everyone else can. And so it's, it's a universal emotion and you're just experiencing it. You talk about time confetti. (laughs) That's something that you have a lot throughout your page. Can you share what that is? Because I even want to better understand time confetti. Yeah. So that's from Dr. Lori Santos. She is a Yale professor. She studies happiness. And she talks about having all these little like interstitial moments where we're kind of like, what should I do at this time? You're waiting for the water to boil. You've just sent a bunch of emails and you have a meeting that starts in seven minutes or you just, you have, we have all these little, you're pooping, you know, we have all these like little. I love your like <laughs> obsession with poop. I just feel like it's like one of the times a day when I st- started to check my relationship with social media, one of my first thoughts was like, well, what do I do when I'm in the bathroom? Which is such an interesting thought. And then it was like, well, maybe I could just use that as like a moment to be. And I think that We've gotten so acclimated to having our phones with us all the time that even just having that one moment to be can be kind of scary. Mm -hmm. But that's like it's a good opportunity. (laughs) But the idea is we can use those moments to do things that enhance our lives instead of just falling into a default mode. So a default mode might be just like picking up your phone, scrolling through social media. But if you keep a list of what she calls a time confetti list, or I had another podcast call it a life is never boring list. And you just make a list of a bunch of different things that you can do in that time. Maybe it's text a friend. Maybe it's put oil in your hair. Maybe it's give yourself a little hand massage. Maybe it's go for a three minute micro walk. But just having this list at hand means that you don't have the decision fatigue of being like, well, I have to figure out what I want to do. Then fill this time. Okay. It's easier to just scroll on TikTok. But you end up taking these micro pockets of time, which add up to so much more time than we think and filling them with things that make your life look again a lot more like what you want your life to look like. And what are your three favorite time confettis? So micro walks are huge for me, like a three minute micro walk. So many doctors come on my podcast and they keep espousing the benefits we of like these quick little walks throughout the day. And so I was just I, like, it was an interesting thing with my eating and my health journey was moving away from the notion that like something had to count. Like you had to be like really sweaty and do this really hard workout for it to count. And of course, count was framed in the notion of like calories expended. But a three minute micro walk, it makes you feel more creative. It makes it easier for you to pay attention. It has this host of benefits to your brain, to your body. And it makes me feel so good. So I love a three minute micro walk. I love going through my text messages. I'm like a, are you like a text message clear box person? Like I like a lot. I, I, I used to be now it's like, I can't put that standard on myself. I literally don't have the time. I have like I think like 400 outstanding text, like unread text messages. That's hard. And I value when you go back to like, what are the things I value? I value my relationships more than anything else in my life. And so I'm like, if I value my relationships, but I'm not spending my time nurturing my relationships, I'm not living by my values. And I'm going to spend every single day of my life feeling a little bit unaligned as a result of that. So in my little micro pockets of time, I've started going through my text messages. I'll reply to people. I'll also just like shoot people text messages and be like, thinking of you. Like, I remember this day we had, you know, how are you doing? Can I double down and possibly push back on that? And yeah, see your do thoughts? it, do it. So I also feel like I really value my relationships. I want yeah. to tend to them, but I don't like the feeling that I have to respond to everyone's texts or that I can be like the fact that we're reachable to every second. I think texts and emails are both like 
messages you're leaving at somebody's doorstep. They're not like you coming over and tugging on their jacket and saying Mm -hmm. like you need to respond immediately. Yeah. I guess sometimes I'm like, if I haven't texted someone back, I'm like, maybe in my time, somebody give them a ring. Because it's like, I just don't want to stare at my phone. That's totally fair. I mean, so yeah, then to each their own. I guess I just want to clarify that you're not feeling like you have to get back to everyone's text. No, I mean, text I still have like friend. 400 yeah. text messages. <laughs> but it's more just like, how is the way that I'm spending my time aligning with my values or not? And I think it's a zoomed out perspective on that. So when I'm feeling a little ick, I can look back at like, what are the things I value? And am I actually spending my time doing the things that I value? Completely. Liz gifted me, so sweet, her Healthier Together deck conversations for creating your healthiest, happiest life. And I'm obsessed with this stuff. Max and I do We're Not Really Strangers a lot. I feel like we've been through it all. I needed something new. And this is right up my alley. And I selected some before the interview that I wanted to go through with you. Yeah, I'm weirdly nervous. Why? You wrote the questions. (laughs) I know. That's why I'm like, these are hard. Like, these are good questions. I'm, I'm nervous to answer them. Okay. Well, actually, we were just talking about friends and texting back. So this question is share one thing you think you could do to be a better friend. I think I could let go of the notion that friendship needs to look a certain way. This is something I'm really working on. That looks like calling up people that I haven't lived in the same place as for years and I might never live in the same place as again and getting to be vulnerable in that way and not relying on like, oh, we need to be physically together to be intimate. I love that. I relate to that. What would you say? I would say I think I could take things less personally. I think when I a friend and I haven't talked for a while, I'll go quickly to they should have reached out. They should have texted. I was the one that did it last time. So I think I could grant more grace and lead Mm. with that and then, you know, keep an eye on the pattern. Yeah, that's a great answer. This next one, I'm so excited. What's something you love about yourself you wish more people noticed or saw in you? Ooh, that's interesting. I think I'm an interesting person where I have been applauded for my mind for my entire life. And I kind of want to be the kind of person who feels like they can just show up and be and not have to entertain or be witty. I'm working on having people notice and love just me without having to like sparkle and turn it on. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the reason that that hasn't happened in full yet is because like I'm still working on that for myself. Like I'm still working on like You don't need to earn your presence in a room. You don't need to earn having value in your relationships. You don't need to earn love. You are lovable just the way you are. Mm -hmm. I love how you followed that up with that self-awareness of like, you have to be the one to give yourself permission to sit in the room and not serve this desire to contribute and to make the jokes and to say the things and just be there and like talk the least and feel like you were a good time. I've done that. I've I've been trying to do that more with myself. That's rejection. That's exposure therapy. That is. That's my exposure therapy. And I'll go out and it'll feel so weird. But then I'll learn something new about a friend who feels like she has the space to tell a, a story or, you know, it's it's been a very positive experience in my life. And I don't think anybody's been like, well, you should I shouldn't have invited you out like you're (laughs) right. You're boring. Right. I love that. What would you say? I would say I feel like I have a really smart way of thinking of business and scaling a career in social media. And I think it's just weirdly something that no one comes to me for or asks Mm. me about. What's one piece of like entrepreneurial or business advice that you would give people? No one is going to care more about your business or work than you are. 
You're not going to find a mentor who's going to call you and make sure you're keeping up with what you need to do. You're not going to find an employee who's going to care and think and live and breathe and sleep your business. No one's going to care more than you about it. And so I think that piece has been so important for me, important for me and who I work with and how I think about where I'm headed is I'm always going to be the thing that is putting gas in the tank. So if you're trying to find that person who's going to write out your steps of what to do or keep you on track or hold you accountable, it's got to come from you. I love that. I have a follow-up, which is you're better at finding mentors than like almost anybody that I've ever (laughs) heard of or met. I'm curious what your secrets are. Oh my God. I live for this. Like whenever I'm doing anything in life, I want to go find the person who is better at it than me, who's done it more than me. And I want to ask them every little question the same way when you told, you mentioned that you had a full-time employee. And I was like, I want to talk to you about that because I want to know how you're doing that. You have to extend yourself and you have to put the effort in. Like when I was sitting in class, the amount of people I have come out of USC with who I know, who I can still call, who've helped me with connections, who've taught me because, you know, I mentioned Dean Sony. He's the Dean of Religious Life. How is he meeting students? He came and he spoke in my class. I listened to every word he said. I sent him an email the next day. Hi, Dean Sony. I was one of the 300 people in that lecture hall and I was so moved. Can I stop by your office to introduce myself? Can I come ask a follow-up question? Like you have to go get their business card, send the email. I have a girl now who will send me every few months a life update on her life. And I admire the freaking hustle. And if she emailed me and said she needed a favor, I would respect her drive. That's that's the part that I have a heart. I'm just like, I don't, these people are so busy and I get so nervous to put them out without offering. It's again, that, that I feel like I need to provide value at all moments of time. Well, I think you can get a read. There are people who would love to mentor, who'd love to teach. The way I was saying, like, I have so much to share. I mean, Max and I were on our honeymoon and there was a girl in the lobby taking a TikTok. She looked really young. And I was like, oh my God, are you a TikToker? She was like, no, but I want to be. I was like, I'm on my honeymoon. I'm like, I'll cancel dinner with my my husband and we can get dinner and I will teach you how to become a TikToker because yeah. I love that. So I think it's about following up, consistency, getting their energy, but you have to make the effort. Like that's another thing about being successful as an entrepreneur. When you're in class and people are coming to speak, get their business card, send them an email. You never know when they're going to work somewhere. And it's not a social climby thing. It's just like, that's building relationships, building connections. You help them, they help you, but no one's going to show up to you and say, hi, I love what you're doing. I'm going to help mentor you. Yeah, I do have so many mentors who I remember all the other people who could have had that same mentor, but they didn't send the email. They didn't offer to go for coffee, you know? That is my, so another one of my life mottos is never be the one to say no to yourself. And it is like something that I absolutely live by. Okay, please, from start to finish, give us this advice because I (laughs) wanted you to say this. It's in my notes and this is the perfect ending. I came up with it as a phrase, I think because people were asking me like, well, how did you accomplish this? How did you accomplish this? And I was like, I think it's been the thing I've been living my life by. From the time that I was 16, I had a newspaper column and I got that newspaper column by going up to the editor and saying like, you should have a column for teenagers and I should be the person to write it. And so I wrote that newspaper column for six years that ended up being nationally syndicated. It was this huge thing I got as like this journalism head start before I even finished college. And I could have not asked them. I could have said, you're not qualified. And I don't think that never be the one to say no to yourself means everything is going to happen for you. Like, I don't think that it means everybody is going to be out there saying yes. But I think it is a very powerful message we can give ourselves that we will say yes to ourselves, that somebody else will say no. You could go out there. I pitched my first book. I was in no way qualified to write my first cookbook. But by the time I wrote my second cookbook, I was qualified because I had that experience. But my first cookbook, I had the idea. I was like, there should be a cookbook about healthy popsicles. I literally Googled 
like how to write a cookbook proposal. I copied one I found online. I Googled like how to find an agent. I pitched agents and then I got an agent and I ended up having a bunch of different publishing houses bidding on who got to publish my book, which launched my whole journalism career into this food, into this wellness direction that has changed my entire life. So again, that agent could have said no, but at least I could rest easy knowing that I didn't say no to myself. So never be the one to say no to yourself is about saying yes to yourself and then going out and seeking out the people who can say yes or no to you. And I had a video go viral about this on TikTok. And since then, I've gotten messages from people who have gotten like a $10,000, $20,000 raise that they definitely didn't think they could get. They've gotten their dream jobs. They One person had a screenplay that's now being optioned to be turned into a movie. So many book deals, dates, you know, like relationships have formed based on this philosophy. So it's really, I think it's a great governing principle to live your life by. Never be the one to say no to yourself. I freaking love that. I saw that viral TikTok and I just, it is life-changing. Like in our mind when we say, oh no, I can't do that. No, I shouldn't do that. No, I shouldn't ask for that. You're the one saying no. You have no idea. Let someone else say no. And chances are that they probably won't. Yeah. Liz, thank you so much. This was such a refreshing conversation. It was heartwarming. It was comforting. I learned a lot. I'm inspired by you and I really appreciate your time. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.